Well, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy 24 in a moment and reading just a few verses, but there are a few things that, as usual, I would like just to draw your attention to. The Vatican issued a, an announcement to Hindu, Hindus and Christians, and it just shows you how the ecumenical movement and the other religious religions uniting with the Roman Catholic Church is taking place. It talks about integral human development, the commitment of Hindus and Christians, it says, can only be reached by taking responsibility for one another, which involves the recognition of freedom, of conscience, thought and religion and the guarantee of political will to work for greater protection of human rights and peaceful coexistence. These concepts are the central focus of the message that the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue sent to Hindus on the occasion of Diwali, the Festival of Lights. It's entitled Hindus and Christians Committed to Integral Human Development. The message signed by the President of the Pontifical Council, Cardinal Jean-Louis Toran, and the Secretary, Monsignor Pierre Luigi Calata, it states, and I'm quoting, Integral human development is the advance towards the true good of every individual, community and society. In every single dimension of human life, social, economic, political, intellectual, spiritual and religious. It says Pope Paul VI described it as development of the whole man and of all men from less human conditions to, to those which are more human. It goes on to say such authentic human development continues the document can be achieved only by assuming a shared responsibility for one another and by seriously engaging in collaborative action. This springs from our very human nature as human beings and our belonging to one human family. In the process of integral development, protection of human life and respect for the dignity and fundamental rights of the person are a responsibility of everyone, both individually and collectively. Respect for others, therefore, implies the rec recognition of their freedom, freedom of conscience, thought and religion. When persons feel respected in their primary choice as religious beings, only then are they able to encounter each other and cooperate for the progress of humanity. This shapes a more peaceful social order conducive to development. The document concludes, Let us all, as people of goodwill, join together to dispel every darkness that hinders a true vision of coexistence, religious harmony and integral development for each and every person. May Diwali be an occasion to celebrate our friendship and boldly proclaim the victory of good over evil 
light over darkness and work together to bring about an era of true freedom for all and integral human development of all. And that's the Vatican reaching out to uh, Hindus. And this is just falling in line with the same type of thinking as Tony Blair. Tony Blair, uh, Hybels had him at his church of leaders. He spoke at uh, Willow Creek. We have Rick Warren joining in. And, of course, we have the latest thing was uh, Lord Carey is put out by the Roman Catholics. He says the Vatican should have informed him first that they were going to uh, provide a quick way for Anglicans who are disillusioned by the Anglican Church, the, the, the clergy in the Anglican Church, who will join up with Rome. Rome have given a fast track to any Anglican clergyman who wants to uh, change over to the Roman Catholic Church. And Carey thinks uh, it's, uh, he's blowing the whistle because it's a foul. But, you know, Barack Obama, in the light of that, uh, the Roman Catholic Church reaching out to the Hindus, uh, Barack Obama was the first American president. He attended and celebrated Diwali at the White House giving official recognition to the Festival of Lights celebrated across the world by millions of Hindus, Sikhs and Jains. And here's what he said, this coming Saturday, Hindus, Jains, Sikhs and some Buddhists here in America and around the world will celebrate this holiday by lighting lamps, which symbolize the victory of light over darkness and knowledge over ignorance. And that's President Obama. One other thing which is, uh, you know, we're heading towards a one world religion and we're also heading towards a one world government, whether people believe it or not. There's a, a Lord Christopher Monckton. He was an advisor, a science advisor to Maggie Thatcher. And he says that the real purpose of the United Nations Climate Conference in Copenhagen on December the 7th to the 18th is to use global warming hype as a pretext to lay the foundation of a one world government. And he says that your president, so you're speaking at... Uh, a Minnesota Free Market Institute audience on Thursday last at Bethel University in St. Paul. He says, your president will sign it. Most of the third world countries will sign it because they think they're going to get money out of it. Most of the left-wing regimes from the European Union will rubber stamp it. Virtually nobody won't sign it. I read the treaty and what it says is this that a world government is going to be created the world government actually appears as the first of three purposes of the new entity which will be discussed at the climate change conference isn't that interesting the bible 
has forecast that for years. This wicked, evil religious system which we see emerging through Rome and which will spread into a global conglomerate of sorcery, persecution and counterfeit. Now, in the light of what we're going to say later on, this is interesting. It will be utterly destroyed and the analogy which is used in scripture in Revelation 18.21 is that of a millstone. It says, and a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. That mystery Babylon will be completely destroyed. We read in Revelation 19 verses 1 to 3, when that happened, there was great joy in heaven at the destruction of this counterfeit religion. God abhors counterfeits which usurp the name of Christ and seek to infiltrate and defame the name of his beloved son and the true church, the bride of Christ. Now, in the light of all that, we will read Deuteronomy 24 and reading from verse 6. No man shall take the nether or the upper millstone to pledge, for it taketh a man's life to pledge. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, and maketh merchandise of him, or selleth him, then that, that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. <clears throat> Let's go on to verse 10. When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou dost lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment, and bless thee, and it shall be righteousness unto thee before the Lord thy God. Pledges. What is a pledge? Something that secures or makes safe. Security. Guarantee. Another definition, the act of handing over something to another as security for the repayment of a debt or performance of a contract. And that's what we're talking about here, pledges. In order to be able to obtain uh, something, a pledge was given. You know, I suppose not many people now know much about pawnbrokers but they used to be familiar in hard times uh, when there was little social assistance to families they still exist 
In cases of need, articles were pawned to the pawnbroker and then later redeemed by repaying the original sum borrowed plus an additional fee. Unredeemed articles were sold off by the pawnbroker. used to look into pawnbrokers' windows to see what articles were for sale sometimes. You know, many of these pawnbrokers actually provided a, a service for a social need. However, in some circumstances, the pawnbroker could be quite ruthless and interest charges could be quite excessive. And unfortunately, we still hear these days of loan sharks exploiting people with exorbitant interest charges and followed up by their bully boys uh, collecting the debts. I remember seeing pawnbroker shops in Dublin when I was a kid. You know, there used to be signs outside various types of shops. We used to have the, the, the barbers with the pole, the white and red pole. Well, the sign outside of pawnbrokers was three uh, golden balls. Remember them? Uh, one on Dorset Street in particular. Of course, we, the Dubliner used to say it was the bookies' odds, two to one, what went into the pawnbrokers didn't come out again. But that's, that's just by the way. The pawnbroker was taking a pledge for the amount of money loaned to his client. And so in verse 6 here we see the type of thing was happening in Moses' day. And there were rules that had to be followed if pledges were being taken. And we saw the rules there in verse uh, 11, from verse 11 to verse uh, 13. And these rules were humanitarian rules to protect the person who was uh, providing the pledge so that he wouldn't be victimised by the person providing him with assistance. The person providing the aid could not go into the house of the borrower. He had to stand outside while the, the person wanting the assistance could bring out the pledge to him. I suppose there was, a, there was always a fear that the person giving, handing over the, the money or whatever it was he was probably wealthy, maybe a little bit high-handed, and maybe a little bit uh, of higher intelligence than the, the, the chap who needed the assistance. And there was always the danger he would go in and he would choose what he wanted rather than the other person giving him the pledge. And if you were, sometimes they, they would pledge their, their garment, some of their clothes. And I know that went on with pawnbrokers as well. But the, you really, if anybody pledged a garment, it had to be returned to that person before sundown. Because quite often they, they used it as a blanket or to keep themselves warm at night. So there were humanitarian rules in relation to uh, accepting and giving pledges. And so in the light of that, let's look at verse 6. No man shall take the nether or the upper millstone to pledge, 
for he taketh a man's life to pledge. The millstones referred to uh, are those used in the houses to grind flour for feeding the family. The corn was brought in and it had to be ground up. And they were not to be taken as a pledge because the life of the householder and his whole family depended on having the wherewithal to grind the corn. It would appear that these were very common throughout Israel. The millstone was used to grind the corn to provide edible food for the household. And the corn, until it was ground, was not of benefit to the family. It had to be broken down to become of benefit to the family, to provide something so that they could eat. I remember way back, well I don't remember, but I remember reading about it years ago when the famine was in Ireland, they, they, the English sent over a type of corn which didn't fit or didn't work well on the millstones that the Irish used and as a result they, they, they ate this unprepared uh, food and it caused great diarrhoea and stomach trouble and things because it wasn't broken down properly hadn't been ground correctly. You know, every Christian family has the word of God. The good corn of the land. We read that when the Israelites entered the land in Joshua 5.11 and, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. They, the manna had stopped, they moved into the promised land and God had provided the corn of the land for the people to eat. Wonderful. It was there. And you know, we as families and as Christians have been provided with the word of God. We have been blessed by many fine men of God who have sought to provide teaching to us from God's word. But it is our responsibility to study the word of God for ourselves and for our families. God had provided the children of Israel with the old corn of the land for his people. But each family had to grind it for themselves and eat it to obtain the benefits from it. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 3, we have a vision that the prophet had. Verse 1. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. There was a scroll and on it was scripture. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. It was a vision. Didn't Israel literally eat the roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey 
for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of an hard language, but to the house of Israel. Like Ezekiel of old, we must eat his word. May God give us a hunger for his word. We must fill our complete intellect and flood our minds and hearts with the word of God. And you know, it says it will be sweetness to ourselves and to those with whom we speak and mix. They realize that what we're saying is God's word. You know, we each have a responsibility to those with whom we live, our families, our friends, our neighbors. And that responsibility means grinding the corn so that it is digestible to those other dear people. God has provided the old corn of the land. It is our duty to grind it. And here's something interesting, especially for mothers probably. It would appear that the special function of the women in olden times was to grind the corn for the family. Even in Exodus, at the time before the uh, redemption of Israel out of the land, but they were speaking of the plague that would come on as a result of not having the blood over the, the door. Exodus 11, 5, And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. So often in these days, it's the mother who is responsible for ensuring that the children hear the word of God, the stories of Jesus and the teaching them the simple truths and stories of scripture, the old corn of the land broken down for the children. The old, old story that is ever new. Grinding it so that the children can learn about Jesus. Jesus speaking about judgment which will come upon this world throws another light upon this question of millstones. If you read Matthew 24 and verse 41. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. I wonder was grinding the flour something which was shared between neighbours or between adjoining families or friends? It would appear so. I wonder do we as we work or meet with our friends share the word of God, grinding it so that our friends can understand it. In the passage that's spoken here by Jesus, one woman was taken away in judgment. 
one woman was taken away in judgment. A solemn warning to each of us as we enjoy social engagements with our friends. One. Will one be taken away someday to eternal judgment because I did not grind the corn for them? You know, people these days are hungry for spiritual food. All over the world people are more spiritual, not more Christian, but more spiritual than perhaps they have been for years. But you know, there's much indigestible food being churned out. There are many mercenary counterfeits, satanic pawnbrokers taking away the millstones from the people and providing indigestible food. Food which dulls the spiritual senses of the people who listen which is deadly in the long run and kills. This is very solemn. May God help us, each one, to grind the corn for the people around us. We used to pray that and sing that hymn, Break Thou the Bread of Life, dear Lord, to me, as Thou didst break the bread beside the sea. Beyond the sacred page I seek thee, Lord, my spirit pants for thee, O living word. Thou art the bread of life, O Lord, to me. Thy holy word, the truth that saveth me. Give me to eat and live with thee above. Teach me to love thy truth, for thou art love. O send thy spirit, Lord, now unto me, that he may touch my eyes and make me see. Show me the truth concealed within thy word, that in thy book revealed I see thee, Lord. Bless thou the bread of life to me, as thou didst bless the loaves beside the sea. Then shall all bondage cease, all fetters fall, and I shall find my peace, my all in all. May we break the bread of life to those around us as well. Something else about millstones. Jesus was talking one day in Matthew 18, verse 3. And he said, Unless you are converted and become as little children, ye shall not at all enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little one in my name receives me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me, it were profitable for him that a great millstone had been hanged around his neck and he sunk in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offences. For it must needs be that offences come. Yet woe to that man by whom the offence comes. Offending someone. 
who believes in the Lord Jesus. There are many today offending little ones. I believe that these verses apply to anyone young in the faith who has a simple childlike faith. Dare any person, Jesus says, put a stumbling block in the way of such a one. The words of our Saviour are a stark warning. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me, it were profitable that a great millstone were hanged around his neck and he was cast into the sea. Woe to the world because of offences, for it must needs be that offences shall come, yet woe to any man by whom that offence comes. There are many churning out indigestible food that is dangerous. Woe to anyone who takes away that simple faith of some of these little ones. And finally, we have, as believers, been given a pledge by God. The person of the Holy Spirit to indwell us day by day. He alone is my pledge and my surety of my eternal inheritance in heaven. That's the good news. Peter assures us of an inheritance. We've repeated these verses over the past weeks a few times, but we'll repeat them again. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a lively hope, Peter says, to an inheritance. That's our hope, a wonderful inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How can we be sure that we will receive this inheritance, this incorruptible inheritance which is reserved in heaven for us? How can we be sure? Go to Ephesians 1 verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. They were the ones who trusted in Christ at the early stages. But then he says, in whom ye also trusted. They trusted, the Ephesians had trusted Christ. After that ye heard the word of truth. The word had been ground down for them. The old corn had been ground down, they had digested it and believed it. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God planted his seal of authority on them and upon us. And he says that Holy Spirit of promise is the earnest 
of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. The New American Standard Bible puts it this way. In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Listen. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us as a pledge given to us by God that someday we will receive that inheritance in heaven with a view, he says, to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Listen to the Amplified Version. It makes it even clearer. That Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it says, is the guarantee of our inheritance. The pledge. The pledge. The down payment of our heritage. In anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's a wonderful pledge God has given us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only pledge I need in my life. The gift of the Holy Spirit which I receive when I accept Christ as did the Ephesians when they believed and accepted Christ. Now, I know that the Anglicans tell us that infant baptism is a pledge of inward grace or that taking the Lord's Supper is in some way a pledge. However, the only pledge I find in Scripture of my salvation and the assurance of my guaranteed inheritance is the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus said will abide with you forever. He said the Holy Spirit will ab abide with you forever. You know, King David did not have and could not have that assurance. Therefore he prayed, as do thousands of people every Sunday, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We have the assurance from Jesus that his Spirit will abide with us forever. He is my Saviour's seal upon my life. He has been given as a pledge of my future inheritance and that is all I need. He alone is my pledge given by my Father in Heaven to me. Fanny Crosby had it right. She said, I have a hope that is sure and steadfast, firm as the rock whereby faith I stand. I have the pledge of a rest eternal waiting for me in the soul's bright land.
That's all we need.